I'd like to think that if I heard someone around me calling the bullshit for what it is, talking about diet culture, describing the behaviors of disordered eating, that I would have been ready to change sooner, but I'm not sure. It is one of the reasons, though, that I think it's so important to talk about this and have conversations about diet culture and disordered eating and body image. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. This week on the podcast, I want to offer you some thoughts that I have about diet culture and disordered eating. I've been thinking a lot about this topic this past week as it's National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. I think this is such an important topic to talk about, to think about, and to reflect on, especially as I look back on my experience with my eating disorder and subsequent disordered eating that I'm still learning about and still learning to work through. I'm also coming off of maybe my favorite event that All Day Fit has had to date, and that was Finding Food Freedom, which we hosted on Saturday. It was a conversation about these topics of disordered eating and body image where I got a chance to speak and share my story. Cassie did as well and her perspective from the fitness industry. And then we brought in an expert, Dr. Amrita Guy, who is a therapist that has specialized training in a lot of these areas. It was an awesome event, an awesome conversation, and the energy that was held in the room was just really warm and open and non-judgmental. So if you're one of those humans that came to that event and shared that with us, thank you so much for being there. For those of you that have heard this term thrown around but maybe aren't exactly sure what it means, diet culture is a system of beliefs that worships a certain body type. It praises disordered food, exercise, and wellness behaviors in the pursuit of changing your body to look more like the impossible societal ideal. It also incorrectly assumes that smaller bodies are healthier bodies. And there's lots of research to support the fact that health actually does exist at every size. In our diet culture, we are taught to tune out the signals our body is sending us. Advertisements in the media that we see all the time Tell us, sometimes overtly, but sometimes very covertly, that our hunger cues must be wrong. Advertisements make us believe that hunger is something to be beaten or something to be curbed. We're taught that our natural inclinations as far as movement and nutrition are concerned must be wrong. But of course, the ads would have us believe that this product or this program that they're selling is the thing that's going to provide the secret or the solution that will override our bodies so we could achieve the results, quote unquote, that we want. And of course, we only want those results in the first place because that's what diet culture has taught us to value. And that to be worthy in this society, that's the mold that you need to fit into. It teaches us not to listen to our body's innate wisdom. It tells us that it's lying to us. And when we grow up in this culture that's constantly preaching that, we start to believe it. And we get really good at ignoring the signals that our body wants to send us. We get really good at ignoring hunger, at ignoring fullness, at ignoring satisfaction. 
at ignoring or drastically misunderstanding cravings, understanding energy levels, all of these things that are meant to provide us with such a wealth of information, we start to ignore and instead we replace it with external data. And what we're led to believe is that if we follow the prescribed plan using only external data, then we'll be healthier and we'll look the way that society tells us we should look. I remember when I was in the very restrictive phase of my eating disorder in high school, learning to do this, learning how to systematically tune out my hunger cues and even developing strategies around how I would ignore them. The more I restricted, the more my body changed and I got so much praise for it. And this onslaught of praise about my smaller body made me feel valued, noticed, and worthy. And that masked any insecurities that I had in other areas of my life and taught me that as long as I could maintain a certain body ideal that other people would praise, that I would be good enough to fit in and be accepted by my peers. We also learned to look at someone whose body that we envy and use that as a reason to do what they do. When it comes to fitness, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to any other lifestyle habits, meditation, we think that if someone does it who we want to look like, then if we do it, we will look like that too. If you give that line of reasoning to anyone who's a critical thinker, they will tell you how ridiculous that is. There are 1 million confounding variables that affect how that person's body looks, some of which are genetic. That line of reasoning where we're assuming that one behavior is the cause without any evidence for it doesn't really make any sense. As ridiculous as it is, we end up losing all trust in our body. We get to the point where we actually start to fear our body. We fear that it will rebel on us and that even if we eat everything quote-unquote right, that it won't follow along with our prescribed plan. When you have an eating disorder, you literally create strategies for how to tune out your hunger. And it works both ways. As you start to tune out your hunger cues, you also lose the ability to pay attention to and understand your fullness cues. And that absolutely describes my experience with my eating disorder. I remember that I was in such a genuine state of denial about what was happening, especially in the beginning. I convinced myself that what I was doing was, first of all, normal, and second of all, really good for me. I remember very early on, one of my dance teachers approached me and asked if I was eating enough because I was losing so much weight. And I remember kind of being taken aback and feeling like they were saying that I had a problem that I really didn't believe that I had. I didn't see the real me in the mirror. Body dysmorphia is absolutely real. I had gone down such a wormhole of obsession about certain parts of my body and zeroing in on those that it became impossible for me to zoom out and have any perspective. It actually spooks me a little bit to look back at videos of myself from that time because time has now created distance between the me that I am now and the me that I was then. And I feel like I can see myself a little bit more from an outsider's perspective. And I see a little bit more of the reality about what was happening to my body. It's super weird to look back at now. When I went to college, what was only restriction turned into a combination of restricting, binging, and purging. 
And that kind of went through many different phases and looked very different at different times. And it's interesting because what I've learned since then is that that's a very common pattern because when your body has felt restricted for so many years, your biology kicks in because it feels like it's threatened. And of course, your body feels threatened when it's been malnourished for so long. And its response is to trigger something in your brain that makes you binge, that causes that behavior. When it was going on, I knew that these behaviors weren't good, but I still protected them because they were comfortable. They felt like the way that I had control over myself. And I think I even convinced myself that I had control over them, that my choices, that's in like heavy quotation marks, choices to binge and purge were of my own volition. Fitness became another way to exert control over my body. I either used it to make up for what I ate the day before or the behaviors I engaged in the day before or as permission to eat food. It's really hard to know just how miserable you are when you're in the depths of something like this because miserable or low energy or foggy, they're all relative terms. And with me, for example, at the time, I genuinely didn't realize that it wasn't normal that I needed three coffees and an afternoon nap on top of it to get through my day because I didn't really know any different. I didn't know how miserable and low energy I was until I started on my recovery journey and started to feel so much better. It's one of the things that makes this so challenging because... We're very good at just persevering through it and convincing ourselves that we're okay when we're really not okay. To recover, you have to be ready to change because recovery is fucking hard. Your body changes. You have to relinquish the control that you've exerted for so long over your body and the size of your body while simultaneously learning to trust it and actually pay attention to its signals. And as you go on this recovery journey, it is so easy to crawl back into the cave of restriction, of calorie counting, of dieting, of these disordered behaviors, because it feels comfortable for you. It feels easy and it feels safe. I'd like to think that if I heard someone around me calling the bullshit for what it is, talking about diet culture, describing the behaviors of disordered eating, that I would have been ready to change sooner, but I'm not sure. It is one of the reasons, though, that I think it's so important to talk about this and have conversations about diet culture and disordered eating and body image. Instead, in my life, a lot of my behaviors were, first of all, normalized, but also celebrated. I was celebrated as being so healthy and having so much self-control and everyone wanted to be like me and do like me. Everyone's asking my secret. So it made it that much harder to break free of those habits that I had established for myself. Fitness was one of those things in my life that was celebrated. My discipline to work out seven days a week, doing high intensity activity. People looked up to that in a way, so I felt like I had to maintain it. Diet culture is so sneaky in this way because it disguises disordered eating and fitness behaviors as healthy and as something to be praised. I think that that's a massive struggle for trainers as well because they feel the pressure to maintain not only these behaviors, but the physique that everyone expects them to have as someone in the fitness industry. 
Cassie talked about this really beautifully at our Finding Food Freedom event on Saturday. And she spoke about how after she did a fitness competition, she had sculpted that typical, really muscular, really lean body that we associate with fitness thanks to diet culture. And of course, she did it by being on a very restrictive meal plan that would never be sustainable for her normal life. And she also shared how that changed her relationship with food moving forward and how much trouble she had after that having foods that her meal plan had labeled as bad in the house because she wouldn't be able to control herself around them. But she was ripped and she was a really low body fat percentage and she had abs and that attracted a lot of people to all day fit and to her business so of course what did that teach her it taught her that she has to maintain that physique in order to maintain her business and all of a sudden those two things became tied together that's so much pressure for a trainer and it's so unrealistic fitness strength These things look different on every body and it doesn't have one distinct look. When you go on social media, you see fitness as having the look of being really lean and really muscular and people assume that if you look that way, that first of all, your programs are going to make them look that way and that also you're somehow a good trainer when, trust me, the skills of a trainer have nothing to do with how you look and everything to do with your ability to understand your client, give them a program that's right for them, your programming skills, the way that you coach and cue, the way that you hold your client accountable. Like there's so many skills to being a trainer that have nothing to do with how you look. It's been a couple of years since then for Cassie and it's been very awesome to watch how she's moved forward and she values everything but her physique and her business right now and how people genuinely come for things that don't have anything to do with how she looks and have everything to do with the community that we've built at All Day Fit, the energy that she brings to every room that she steps into, her ability to understand you as a person and care about you as a person. Like there are 100 other things that make All Day Fit what it is and it has nothing to do with her body. I wanna talk a little bit about fitness trackers because the way that we approach our nourishment and our movement are a very similar skill. And so that's why they often go hand in hand when one is disordered, often the other is disordered as well. I wore a Fitbit and then a Whoop and then an Apple Watch for a long, long time. And I didn't see any problem with it. I thought it just encouraged me to be more active and healthy. But what I believe now is that those things, while they can be good to increase awareness, especially if you're someone that lives a wholly sedentary lifestyle that can be good to increase your awareness about needing to stand up, maybe take a couple of walks during the day. But it is another device that teaches you to tune out the signals that your body sends you. Instead of being intuitive and learning the skills to know whether you need to move or not, you rely on a device to do it for you. We have to be careful with these things, and I would never tell someone not to wear their tracker if they enjoy it, but I would challenge them to really consider what their relationship is to it. And I would challenge them to think deeply about this, because when I wore mine, I would have told you that it didn't have any effect on me. And for example, if my goal was 
15,000 steps in a day and I was at 14,000, I wasn't the type of person that needed to stand up at 10 p.m. and take a walk around the block just to get in my steps. But I was using those numbers subconsciously in the back of my mind as a way to make other decisions in my life. So I used it as a way to tell myself how big of a dinner I needed because how active was I that day? Or if I didn't get a lot of movement in that day, that would be the thing that would make me schedule in a really tough, long workout for the next day. So I started to make decisions based off of that external factor and not just what I felt like my body needed and what mentally I wanted for myself. So it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. So I really encourage you to think about that if you're someone that wears one of those devices. I wanna leave you guys with this. I believe that there is no greater gift you can give yourself than learning to tune in and listen to your body's signals and trust its innate wisdom. It's a life skill and it will serve you for the rest of your life. Your body knows what it needs to be happy, healthy, satisfied, and to live a full life. You just have to learn how to listen to it. And this is so important because what you need and what your body needs is different from what anyone else's needs. We are all different. We're all diverse. That's a good thing. But what works for someone else isn't what's going to work for you. I'm working on developing this skill. It's going to be a lifelong task to learn, but it's only gonna serve me well. And just another note to trainers, fitness professionals, fitness influencers about this diversity. Just because you do it doesn't mean that it's going to work for someone else or that someone else should be doing it. Fitness professionals, fitness spaces are maybe the biggest propagator of diet culture and its lies. We need to do better. We need to stop subscribing to diet culture and being proponents of it. Educate yourself. Your client actually doesn't need to lose weight for their health. Health exists at every size and there is lots of research on it. Your client needs to learn how to engage in healthy, sustainable behaviors for their health. So help them do that. These are such important distinctions and I just really want the fitness industry to do better. There are many versions of strength and beauty and I hope that we can learn to embrace all of them. Okay, rant over. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I think that all of these topics are things that affect many of us more than we even realize, which is why I'm so passionate about continuing to talk about it and we will continue to talk about it and bring in experts on this topic for the podcast. Disordered eating behaviors are so normalized, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a negative effect on your health and well-being. That's our podcast for today. Make sure that you tune in next Monday morning for our next episode to be released. You can find this podcast as a reminder on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on many other podcasting platforms, whatever you like to listen on. I would love if you could share this podcast with someone who you think needs to hear about diet culture and disordered eating. Also, your ratings and reviews go a really long way. I appreciate them all so much. All right, everyone. Have an awesome week. As always, really tune in. Make sure you get out there. Do something that makes you feel really good today.